very excited. I want to thank you for, for asking me to speak, um, for giving me this opportunity. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to bring um, the word to you guys this morning of what I feel like God has been placing in my heart through uh, my study of this text. Um, so today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29, the second half of Galatians 3. Um, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or, or look it up on your phone, um, Bible app, um, that would be great. That's where we're going to be today. Um, before I start, I just want to take a minute to, to pray. So let's do that. Um, dear Lord, um, I pray this morning that you would just, you just give me the words to say, God, that I believe what you've taught me through preparing for this is, is what we need to hear this morning. So, um, so I just pray that you would just use your Holy Spirit to speak through me, God. Um, I pray that you would calm my nerves, um, in, in bringing this this morning and, and just give me the confidence to preach boldly what we need to hear. And, uh, and above all else, God, I pray that just you would be the center, Lord that I would just bring glory and honor to you because it's not about me. It's not about any of us. God, you're the reason we're here. So I just pray that to you this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. So let's jump right into it because I have so much to share with you guys. When I uh, rehearsed this for the first time, um, saying it out loud, it was an hour long. So <laughs> um, I promise you I've cut it down since then. But... But let's get right into it, because I do still have a lot to share. Um, so, wow, I'm very loud now. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so let's just recap a little bit of what Toby spoke about for the first half of Galatians um, two or three weeks ago now. Um, so Toby reminded us in the first half that um, we, because of our inability to follow the law completely, we, we are all sinners, and so none of us can follow the law that God gave us through the word, and of that, if we've broken one part of the law, we've broken the entire law, right? And so because of that, it says in verse 10, I believe, um, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. So because we cannot follow one part of the law, we cannot follow any of it, um, and thus we're under a curse. But in verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone, everyone who hangs on a tree. Um, so this verse is just saying that though we were under a curse because of our sin and our inability to follow the law, Christ came and was the redeemer of that. And he took the curse for us. He took the curse and put it on himself on the cross um, of our sin. And because of that, we are now no longer under the curse of the law. Um, so let's jump into verse 15. Um, that's where I'll be starting this morning. So, And I'm reading from the, the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. Um, so I'm sorry if it's different than your version. Um, if you have a phone, you could find it. But this is my big fat study Bible. <laughs> um, this is just the version I like to use. I'm not saying that any other version is worse or anything like that. But this is just my personal preference. So anyway, uh, verse 15. So it says, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Verse 16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. So I just want to pause right here because verse 16, at first glance, it doesn't, to me at least, it didn't really stick out that much. But after looking at it more closely, 
I realized that it's actually a really, really awesome, like very clear verse. One of the first times in scripture that it's very clear that the promises God made to Abraham were, it was actually our coming redeemer, Christ Jesus. Um, I looked back at, oh, sorry. If I looked back in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, um, those are the three passages that God promises things to Abraham. And in those passages, I won't read them for the sake of time, but God promises a lot of things to Abraham. A lot of it has to do with just multiplying him and creating great nations out of him and giving him land. Um, it says God will promise him land and he will make him a great nation. Uh, he will bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. Um, and in him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, so those are just a few of the promises. And I just think it's so cool that Abraham didn't know it at the time, but God was going to use him and use his descendants in way more incredible ways than Abraham could have ever known or ever imagined. Um, because as we can see in this verse in Galatians 3.16, that that promise that says all the nations will be, um, of the earth will be blessed through, your, through you, that promise was actually, like I said, it was the blessing of the coming Redeemer, the coming Christ. Um, so I just, I love that verse. Um, and even from Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, you can, we can see Christ throughout the whole Bible. And ever since Genesis 3, well, really, you can see Christ throughout the entire Bible, even before Genesis 3. But since Genesis 3, the whole of the Bible has just been God's redemptive plan um, being played out and written out um, to save us, to save the lost, because he loves us so much. Um, so let's jump back in verse 17. It says, what I'm, what I'm saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on a law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. So these verses are kind of saying that the law has no saving or sanctifying power, and it has no way through which we can be justified, and our inheritance isn't based on being able to follow the law. Because as we learned from Toby, we can't follow the law because we're all sinners. And so in verse 19, he says, well, why then the law? He's asking the Galatians, even though he already knows the answer. He's like trying to challenge them to see if they know. But he says, why then the law? It was added because of our transgressions, having been ordained through the angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. So he's saying, why then the law? Well, um, the law, I was reading a commentary um, about this verse, and it was explaining that, like, the law was given, it says the law was added because of transgression. So it was given to the Israelites for the time because of their sin. And so it was given to them to expose them of their sin so they could correct their sin um, and live righteously. And it was given as well to show them their need for a savior, to show them that they need someone to save them because they are not perfect. And lastly, it was given to just preserve them as a nation. Um, there had been nations before the Israelites that, that got, like the Canaanites, that God chose to just, because of their sin, they were such a wicked people group that God just chose to wipe them out altogether. Um, and, but God promised, or gave the Israelites the law so that, because they were his chosen people, so that they would, he would prolong them as a nation. 
um, because these are the people that he promised um, land to and promised to reunite with. Um, so let's go to verse 21 now. Or, I'm sorry, verse 20. Now a mediator is not only for one party, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. So this is saying, like, the law is wholly good and comes from God. Like, the law was literally created by God for the Israelites. So the law is not in any way contrary to God's promise to Abraham and to the Israelites. Um, But at the same time, it does not impart, as it says, it doesn't impart righteousness. It doesn't provide their way through which they can receive salvation. Um, and then in verse 22, it says, But Scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And this verse was another one that didn't stick out to me at all when I first read it. But as I read it again, and um, I was studying it, this verse really stuck out to me so much more. And that's the thing I love about Scripture is that you can read it a thousand times, and the thousand and one time you read it, if that's correct grammar, <laughs> God can just bring it to life in a whole new way. Because um, this, it's alive and active, right? Um, so anyway, so verse 22, my version says, the, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. Another version you might have um, says, instead of shut up, it says imprisoned under sin. And I love this picture that because of our sin and because the scripture shows us our sin and the law shows us our sin, we are, with our sin, we are imprisoned under scripture because we, we can't follow it, right? We need someone to save us. But the great news is that through faith in Christ, we now can be freed of that, of that um, imprisonment and that sin. So it's like the jail cell is wide open for us if we have faith. It's will we make the choice to walk through the open door and leave our sin behind in the jail cell? Because we can walk free because of our um, because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross and because of our faith in Him. And our sin is imprisoned now, or not us anymore. It's our sin that stays in us. And so I just want to challenge you guys: like, are you still living in the jail cell? If you've placed your faith in Christ, are you still living there? Or have you chosen to realize that you are free in Christ and that you don't have to be burdened by your past guilt of your past sin anymore? That we are free in Christ to walk free out of that jail cell and live the life that he's called us to live. God can use us in incredible ways and we just have to trust in him and believe that and not be burdened by our sin. Because the scripture says that our sin is washed away. And God not only forgives us of our sins, but he also forgets our sins, right? So let's keep reading. Verse 23, it says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, um, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. Um. So these verses are saying the law was our tutor. So the law helped us to understand what we've been doing wrong. That law helped us to understand our sin and helped us to understand 
our need for a savior because as we know, we can't follow it completely. Um, and so I wanted to kind of just take a minute and, and look back on one of the things that they had to do back in the Old Testament as part of like following the law. Um, so one thing they had to do every single year was they had to make uh, an animal sacrifice to God in the in the tabernacle. This is the tabernacle that they built. Um, so um, so this, if you don't know, this part is the holy place of the of the tabernacle, um, and this part back here, this is the Ark of the Covenant, and this is the the Holy of Holies. So this is the veil right here. This veil it came all the way across, but it's like cut it out for the sake of showing you what's inside. But this veil was all the way across, and it covered. It was completely. These two places were completely separate, and the only person who could ever go into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, um, was the high priest himself. And, and he couldn't just go in whenever or however he wanted. He could only go in once a year solely for the purpose of um, like making an, uh, a sacrifice um, to God. Because um, in, the, in the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the, Cove- Ark of the Covenant was, that's where you were actually in the presence of God. And um, so he could only go in there once a year to make an animal sacrifice to God for atoning for the sins of the people of Israel. And he couldn't just go in there however he wanted either. He had to be, like, completely washed clean, his body, and he had to wear these specific, like, it literally says, like, holy garments in, in Leviticus uh, where it talks about this. But he had to go in, um, like, completely pure in order to enter the presence of God. He had to be completely perfect, in other, in, essentially, to enter the presence of God. So what he would do every year is he would go in once a year and he would make a sacrifice of a lamb and he would sprinkle the blood of the lamb on top of the mercy seat. The, like, you can't really see it in that picture, but these like two winged creatures on top of the Ark of the Covenant, that's the mercy seat. So he would sprinkle the blood of a lamb on the mercy seat and on the Ark of the Covenant and that would atone for the people of Israel's sins. Um, but fast forward to today, and things are completely different, right? Like, we don't make animal sacrifices in a tabernacle anymore. Um, well, why is that? And it's because we had a perfect lamb come and die once for all for our sins, right? Jesus Christ came because of his love for us and his grace for us, and he came and died once for all for the forgiveness of our sins. He was the perfect lamb, and when that happens, one of the coolest pictures I think happens in all of scripture is the, when he died on the cross, the veil, some of you guys know where I'm going with this, the veil, the separation between the holy place and the holy of holies, or the separation between us and God the Father himself, that veil was split in two when he died on the cross. It says in Matthew 27:51, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The separation, separation between us and the Father were split in two. And now we don't have to be perfect to come to him. We can come with our baggage and our sin, and we can come directly to the Father, and we can talk to him and pray to him, and he hears our prayers. And not only that, but we can be in his presence. I, I believe that God is in the presence of us today right now because the Bible also says where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the so we can be in his presence and we can talk to him directly through prayer and he hears us. 
So I just, I love that, that verse and, and how, that passage about how the veil split. Um, so last chunk of verses here, uh, 25 through 29, it says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So these verses are saying that through faith, we all have access to salvation and placing our faith in him and inheritance, the promise that was made to Abraham and inheritance eternal life. We all have access. I don't care where you're from. Why? I shouldn't say I don't care. God doesn't care where you're from, what you've done in the past, or what you will do in the future. He loves you, and his grace is sufficient for us. We, all we have to do is place our faith in him. That is where our salvation the law is certainly not worthless, but it's not as important as faith. The law does not give us righteousness. The law shows us how we can be righteous, but it does not provide that righteousness. That only comes through faith. There are people in this world who, and maybe some of you are here today, that you believe that what you've done in the past is so horrible that God would never want you and, and you can never be saved. And that is so far from the truth. Guys, there is nothing that we can do that will permanently exclude us from placing our faith in Christ and from inheritance eternal life. The only thing that can, I shouldn't say nothing, because there's only one thing, and the only thing that can is not placing your faith in Christ before you take your last breath. And so everyone who's here today, all of you who are listening to me, or if you're listening online, if there is anyone other than my dad and my sister who aren't here, <laughs> um, but everybody who's listening to this right now, we all still have a chance, if you haven't already, to place your faith in Christ. God will always want you, and he will always chase after you. And his grace is sufficient for us. Um, and not only before we've placed our faith in Christ can God forgive us of anything, but also after you've placed your faith in Christ. If you have genuine faith, there's nothing that you can do in the future that God can't forgive you from or would make God stop loving you. And, uh, yeah, so God's grace is sufficient for us. Um, you guys know the difference between grace and mercy? So mercy um, is not getting something we deserve, and grace is getting something we don't deserve. And I know that sounds very similar, so um, I'll just explain it a little more clearly. So Say, for instance, like I steal something from Gavin, and Gavin knows it was me that stole from him. Um, mercy would be Gavin saying, you know what, I know that Jake stole this from me and this wasn't right, but I'm going to choose to let it go, and I'm going to forgive him, and I'm not going to call the cops on him and get him in trouble. Um, because he has the power, like he knows it was me who stole, and um, he has the power to punish me, and I am guilty of it, of stealing, and so... I deserve the punishment that he could give me, um, but he decided to he decides to show mercy on me, not punishing me for for stealing from me. That's mercy, and and uh, grace is um, not only does he forgive me and let it go, but he also chooses. He said, "Okay, Jake, you stole from me. I'm gonna now give you my car, 
and please like take my house and take all my money. Like just have all of it. It's free and I want you to have it. Like that is the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is just an overflowing of goodness of stuff that we do not deserve. And that's what that's what Christ's death on the cross made possible for us. That's what God's love and his grace for us did. Not only does he provide the forgiveness of our sins, but he also provides salvation and relationship with God. And through that, we get to spend eternity with him. Um, So Christ has made a way for us through his sacrifice on the cross, and there's nothing that God can't forgive us from or make him stop loving us. And if you don't believe me, just look at Paul. Paul, as we learned in chapter 1, I think it was, we learned about his conversion story. Paul was literally like the worst of the worst people, like so far opposite of a Christian. He literally killed and persecuted Christians because he hated, hated them so much. And God could have chosen to be like, you know what, Paul despises me and he's against everything I am for. And so he could have said, I'm not going to save Paul. But God can do whatever he wants. And so he said, you know what, no, I'm going to take Paul, someone who hates me and hates everything about me, and transform him and make him one of the most on fire evangelists for me that has ever walked the earth. And he wrote a third of our New Testament um, because of God's miraculous work in him. And so if you don't believe that God can use you or that God can forgive you for your sins, you're wrong because look at Paul. God can do anything he wants, whenever he wants. And on the flip side, um, there's also people who believe that what they do, they're good enough people. Um, they are good enough to, to inherit heaven, that they don't need God. And this is also very far from true. Um, as Toby reminded us again, that we've all sinned and we've all broken the law. And because of that, none of us good enough because God is completely perfect and we are not. So even if we've broken one sin our entire life, we still don't deserve to be in relationship with God and to inherit eternal life. Um, And some of us even today may, like, I personally struggle with this, like, pride thing of we may think to ourselves, like, oh, I'm better than than that person. Like, they struggle with this, and, and I read my Bible every day, and I pray you know, for a half hour every day, or, or I'm preaching today, like, look at me. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's so not what it's about, guys. Because it's not about being good enough or being better. Like, we can't compare ourselves to others. Like, the only one we need to, to compare ourselves and try to be more like is Christ himself. Because Christ walked on this earth perfect. He's the only one to do it. And because of that, he was able to die on the cross once for all for us raised from the dead. So he's the one we should be trying to emulate, not someone else. Um, So some of you may be thinking today, well, Jake, I already know all this stuff. Like, I've already placed my faith in Christ. Like, what, what can I do? Well, I would say that's awesome. And um, because of that, your sins have been forgiven and washed away through Christ. Um, but I want to say it doesn't stop there. It doesn't mean that we can just do whatever we want um, after we've been saved. Like, yes, absolutely, Christ or God's grace is sufficient for us. 
and Christ's death was for everyone on the cross. But I believe, and I believe Scripture shows that true faith and true relationship with God requires great sacrifice. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy, half-hearted decision. It requires sacrifice, and it requires a daily living, right? Our faith should be evident in how we live. Um, it's like this idea of if you genuinely love someone, you are going to not just say that to them, you're going to show it to them, right? You're going to show it through your actions. People always say actions speak louder than words. Like, for example, Kirsten loves snacks. And so, yeah, she can attest. So whenever, if I know she's had a bad day, then if I'm thinking about her, the way that I can show her love in that way is to buy her, you know, snacks or bring her home a soda or something. Um, that's how she feels loved. And so through that, that's me showing her that I'm thinking about her and that I love her through my actions. That's just a kind of a silly example, but... But right, it's this idea that like if you genuinely love someone, if I genuinely love my wife, I'm going to show her that through my actions. And so, so how can we show God that we love him and make our faith real and live it out in our daily lives? So I've just come up with a couple, a couple points um, on that. So the first thing is, I've already said it, but the first thing is relationship with God. God wants to have a relationship with us. He is our Father, and through faith in Him, we are His children, um, and He's our Dad, and our Dad wants to have a relationship with us. And what does that look like? So this involves not only talking to Him and praying to Him um, for asking Him for things like and like forgiving our sins and um, and just having communication with Him and spending time with Him, but not only that, but it also involves like knowing His Word being in his word, because this is God's primary way of speaking to us. Um, this is the inspired word of God. These were written by human authors, but God gave them the words to say. These are God's words. And so we need to know his word. Um, because my mom always says, and she's here today, she came all the way from Michigan, but... <laughs> Um, my mom always said to me growing up that a relationship is a two-way street, right? If you want to have a relationship with God, it can't be just you praying all the time to him and asking him for things and stuff like that. Like, he has to pour into your life. And there's a few ways, but the main way, he can pour in through definitely through other people and through things like that, but the main way is through his word that he's given to us. Um, and to be honest, like, we should be reading this, I would say, more than we're praying, because I need to hear, like, personally, I need to hear from God way more than he needs to hear from me. <laughs> like, I need his insight, because he is perfect, and he knows everything, and I don't. And so, I think it's so, so important that we're in his word. Um, I had a professor at Moody, before I graduated, who, he had a friend who read his Bible religiously, like, every single day, for like 20 or 30 years straight, without missing a single day, and I remember this professor told us in class, like, he asked him one time, he said, hey, how do you, how are you able to, to, like, be that consistent in reading your Bible every single day? How do you not ever miss a day? And his response was, like, so profound to me, yet so simple at the same time. He said, when, God, when the God of the universe speaks, I believe we should listen. And that just, like, blew me away. That, like, I always knew that, like, this is God's word, but it, 
always just blew me away. Like, literally, God is speaking to us, and we can actually, like, do what he tells us. And it's just mind-boggling to me that our creator, who created the whole universe, can talk to us, and we can hear from him through his word. And so, um, so not only does this um, show us how we can live um, and help us to have a relationship with him, but it also, how can we um, show God and show Christ to others if we don't know his word? Which leads me to my second um, and last point is to the second way that we can live out our faith in our daily lives is to, to share the gospel. Um, have you guys ever heard like some, has there ever been some news in your life or something that you've been so excited about that you find yourself talking to some random coworker that you have barely spoken two sentences to before? Or maybe even like you're so excited that you've spoken to someone in the like checkout line at the grocery store? Like you're so overwhelmed with excitement about this thing that is happening in your life or, or something that you can't help but share it with, with someone else. And this is what it should feel like sharing the gospel and sharing Christ with others. And, like, trust me when I say this, I'm talking to myself more than I'm talking to any of you right now. Because I struggle with this seriously. Like, it's so hard for me to, to open up and to talk about Christ with others that I know don't know him. And, and I'm sure it might be hard for some of you. And so we, we have this fear of sharing the gospel. Um, we have the greatest news we can tell anyone ever at our disposal, but it, it's hard for us to share it, right? Why is that? So I, I wrote down just a few things that I think maybe be the reason for us being nervous um, and sharing it. So maybe fear of rejection, um, fear we won't know what to say, or fear we, um, they will ask us a question we don't know how to answer, and we risk like looking stupid, which is another reason like it's so important to know this. Um, so that we do know what to say, not to argue with them, but just so that we can help explain the gospel and explain Christ's death and resurrection in a more clear way to them. Um, and the last thing I wrote is the fear of the pressure we like put on ourselves to, to be Christ to that person and to show them Christ and to lead them to Christ. So these are all like genuine fears I've had in my personal life, and I, and I still have. Um, and so I just wanted to share two passages from Scripture that will hopefully give us some confidence, um, and peace in sharing the gospel. So the first thing is Luke 20, uh, 6.22. It says, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. So this verse is saying, like, we can literally be joyful even in failure in sharing the gospel because we know that we are obeying the Lord in his I've experienced this personally in my own life, and it was, like, so interesting to me. I remember for another one of my classes at Moody, we had to, as one of our assignments, go out into the city with a partner and literally just walk up to a random person we'd never seen before and try to share the gospel with them. You guys probably remember that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, so it was, it was the most uncomfortable I've ever felt. But <laughs> um, I remember me and my friend from the class, we, we went out and we just found this guy on Michigan Avenue downtown, and we just went up and started talking to him. And we realized very quickly, his name was Michael, and we realized very quickly that he was um, a homosexual man and he was a, a Buddhist. And 
um, he, it was very clear to us that he wanted nothing to do with us right away. Um, and so we were like about to walk away from the conversation, but I like, I don't know, I just, I wanted to like dig into it more. I didn't want to give up that easily. So I asked him, I was just trying to like get to know, get him to talk a little bit more. And I was like, can you like tell me about what, what do you believe? Like what does it look like to be a Buddhist and stuff like that? And so we talked, he, we ended up talking for about a half hour and at the end of the conversation, we walked away. It didn't amount to anything. Like, he didn't have a radical transformation. We didn't, like, he didn't accept Christ or anything like that. But I just, I remember, I just walked away from that conversation feeling so, like, blessed and so full of joy. Not because we, like, succeeded or anything like that, but we also didn't fail because we know that we were obeying God's will and we were getting his gospel out there. Um, and the next verse I have that's the last thing I promise, is, uh, is Mark 4, uh, 3 through 8. I won't read it just for sake of time, but it's the parable of the, the sower. I don't know if you guys know that one, but it talks about how we plant seeds and they, some of them go into like rocky soil and they don't sprout up or take anything. They just die away. Some uh, are planted in thorny soil, I think, and they don't sprout up. And then the last thing it says is there's seeds that are planted in good soil. And they sprout up, and they um, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. So this parable um, was given by Jesus, and this parable is saying that ultimately we cannot save anyone, right? We're not responsible for changing their heart. Like, all we're responsible for is planting the seed in that person. All we're responsible for is sharing the gospel and getting it out there. And ultimately, God is the one who can transform that person's heart and, and change their lives, uh, lives. And so I hope that gives you guys some confidence that, that we don't have to feel the pressure to, to like, succeed or to lead that person to Christ because that's not what it's about. Um, it's only about just sharing the gospel with them. And ultimately, God can do the work or he, or he doesn't, but, but that's not up to us. So these are just a couple ways that we can live out our faith in Christ. Um, hope what I'm saying makes sense. And, <laughs> and uh, if I want to reiterate it again, like if you don't take anything away from this this morning, just remember like Christ's work is finished on the cross. He was the perfect lamb. He died once for all for the forgiveness of our sins. And he rose again, from, rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death. And all we have to do is place our faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins. And through that, we can walk free out of our jail cell. We don't have to stay in there. We're not imprisoned anymore by our sin. We can walk free into the life that he's called us to live in our sin-saved back in the jail. So let's live like we let's live like we're free in Christ.